Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Bible Church in the Twin Cities. I'm Pastor Levi Secord. It is the goal of Christ Bible Church to glorify God by bringing all of Christ into all of life. For that reason, I want you to know that we now offer a second podcast called The Worldview Minute. In it, I seek to demonstrate the universal importance of the Christian worldview by building the theological foundations of our faith and then applying them to all of life. The Worldview Minute aims to produce short, accessible episodes that equip the believer to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord over all of life. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Google. Just search for The Worldview Minute and you can subscribe there. Now let us turn our minds and our hearts to the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord God, as your Word is eternal, as it is true, as it is powerful, we ask in anticipation that you would speak to us through it here this morning. We ask that your Spirit, he would be here, he would be active, he would be imparting life, he would bring conviction where conviction is needed, repentance where it is needed, and new life to your people. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, holds a uh, special place in my life, as this passage is the very first passage I ever preached in a church setting. And uh, funny enough, or ironically, or I should say, in God's providence, uh, the first time I preached in a church setting was halfway across the world, in Wellington, New Zealand. My brother-in-law set up a, a church he was working at, had me preach there when we went out to visit. And just so happens last night, my brother-in-law came in. And he's sitting here today. He's got to hear me preach it again. <laughs> so, so good for him. We live in a, that was about 12, 12 years ago, so he's probably forgotten everything I said. And so, so have I. So we live in a time today that, that could rightly be described as transient. And by that I mean there's always something New. There's always the, the latest thing. Right? Things don't really last or hold our attention uh, very long anymore. In fact, I, I remember an old skit, I think it was SNL, that was doing a parody on, um, on Steve Jobs announcing new Apple products. And before he would finish a sentence, he'd have to introduce the new Apple product and the new Apple product. But wait, now here's, here's a new one. It really is true. Apple seems to release a new iPhone every year. I looked this up. Uh, just yesterday, and the first iPhone came out in 2007, so you're talking about 16 years ago. We're on iPhone 14. Now, if you know iPhone at all, there's about five variations of each of the numbers of iPhones, so it's actually more than one type of iPhone comes out every year, and you have to have it, otherwise the old one you have in your pocket is outdated and obsolete. This is the reality that is ever-present in our day today. We're always moving from one new fancy shiny object that is less shiny to something uh, newer. And this speaks to a deeper reality that we too, like that iPhone, appear on the scene and seem to fade away in record time. I can remember to uh, the days of my youth, and now that I'm more middle-aged, I wonder how that happens so quickly that I can wake up in the morning feeling sore in ways I wouldn't have felt 10, 15 years ago. And some of you say, just wait, Levi, it's going to get worse. Yeah, I know, something to look forward to. 
but my body is literally fading away. Your body is literally fading away. We are, as Peter reminds us here, blades of grass, flowers of the field. We rise and we bloom in glory, and there is real glory in that, but then we start to fade away. And we live in an age, I think, that reflects that truth all the more clearly with our ever-adapting and updating technology, even though we don't like to think about it that way. And so we can think about the glory of man, not only as individuals, not only as our strength, but also the works of man. The works of man, they bloom and they, they come in glory and then and they fade away. It truly is amazing to think about how an individual, a man, can dedicate his entire life into building a ministry or building a business. And then in his twilight years or when he hands it off to the next generation, it goes poof. And all those years of work are gone. Ecclesiastes is a whole book devoted to that problem. Life is vanity of vanities. That is, it is a mist. It's here one moment and then it disappears. I attended a funeral last week of a man from my, my former church. He was an absolute fixture in that church and in our denomination for decades. He died in his, his late 90s, and if you would have sat down and talked with Milt, he would have told you it went really fast. It went quickly. Each of us experienced that rise and fall. This is the ebb and the flow of life and creation. You see, the Bible tells us the glory of young men is their physical strength. The glory of young men is their physical strength. And such strength can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But eventually men, if you don't know this, you reach your peak. And no amount of working out, no amount of supplements will keep death at bay. Sure, you'll be in better shape and there's some value to that. But eventually, father time wins. He's undefeated. The glory of young women is their beauty. And like the glory of young men, their glory can be used for good or for evil. And like with young men, that glory fades and entropy and death eventually win. No amount of makeup, surgery, or working out will wholly fix that problem. We don't like to think about it. But part of my job is to tell you things you don't want to think about. Such realizations are no fun. Life is transient. Strength and beauty are passing. In our, in our age, we should note that the wisdom of an age is also passing. It rises and it falls in a similar manner. We don't really learn history like former generations used to. But if you study the history of culture and of thought, you realize that there's always a rising system of thought, a rising movement. It seems inevitable that it will win and will last forever, and then something suddenly shifts and it collapses. And then the next movement comes in. What was formerly an unquestioned societal belief is tossed aside by the next generation. So we who live in a manifestly absurd times, and we do, where it seems like the craziness of wokeness will win no matter what, you should remember, it will rise and it will fall, just like everything else. And actually, I think it will fall rather quickly because insanity doesn't work. You can't live at war with reality. Eventually, reality wins. But this search for permanence, for something eternal, is a fixture of the human condition. Man longs to change his status. He longs to be more than a blade of grass or a flower of the field. He wants to be that unmovable rock. 
So people build statues. They build statues that will be there longer than they are. They build monuments and great works. They go on searching for the fountain of youth, however that manifests itself in your age. Today we have literally people who pay lots of money to have their body or just their head deep frozen, thinking that someday through cryogenics and the increase of technology, they'll be able to resurrect them. Some people are even saying, now maybe we can find eternal life through artificial intelligence. It's the same old search, just dressed up in more technology. None of it will work because this is baked into the very nature of how God has made the universe or how he has cursed it. And so Peter explains this to us using that grass and flower metaphor. What can be done? What can change the equation? Is there something else that we can build our lives upon? Is there something beyond the glory of the flower of the grass? And the answer, of course, is yes. The answer is, if we hope to overcome that, we have to find something that's categorically different than we are. If you want to find something, if you want to become eternal, you have to find something eternal. You have to find something that's not going to pass away. And Peter's answer here is the very word of God. You have something eternal. The word of the Lord. What is this word? Look at verse 25. Peter writes this, The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we live in a transient time, here today, gone tomorrow, and as we search for that eternal thing, God has literally given it to you. What is it? It's his word. Well, what is the word? It is scripture. But the focus here is on the storyline of scripture. It is the good news. It is the gospel. It's the good news that has been preached unto you. And Peter cites for us here Isaiah chapter 40, which is a contrast, which we read at the beginning of the service, that God is telling Israel that I am going to judge you. Israel was literally living in a time where their moral decadence and their rebellion against God and their society was collapsing, that God is saying, I am going to wipe you out. This should sound somewhat familiar to you. But he says, I also have this promise of a coming salvation, a messenger of the Lord who will come because the Lord is coming and he will, co- he will be the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God, the suffering servant, the Messiah. Literally, Israel was in the midst of societal upheaval and the Lord said to, says to Israel, but there's something that's going to remain. There's something that's forever. That's my word to you. My promise that I will save. Peter wants us Christians to hear that same thing. God's promises stand. His word is eternal. His word is unchanging. And his word is effective. And that word centers on the good news of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is no coincidence whatsoever that the term, the word of God, is used to talk about both scripture and the person of Jesus Christ. There's an organic connection between the written word of God and the enfleshed word of God who is the Son. Christ is God, the word who took on flesh. Scripture is God's written word that centers on and testifies about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so this application has to be made. I encounter this far, far more often than I 
I care to admit. And sometimes I'm like, especially people who've been under my teaching for years, are you listening to anything I say? All right, so let me make this real clear. There is no such thing as red-letter Christians. If you put a priority of over the spoken words of Jesus over and against the rest of Scripture, you don't understand Jesus and you don't understand Scripture. The word of the Lord is all bound up and points to Christ. All of it matters. Every word of it. You can't have a canon within the canon. All of it is inspired by God. All of it testifies to Christ. And you are accountable before God to submit to all of it, even and especially the parts you don't like and that make you uncomfortable. The word of the Lord remains forever. And here, Peter is clearly talking about the written word of the Lord. And that word centers on Christ. What is the character of that word? Why is this word so important? Peter's main point, of course, is that it is eternal, that the word remains forever, and that therefore you and I should build our lives upon that word, because unlike the ideas of this age that rise and fall and will be replaced with something else, this word doesn't change. Two, three, four, five, six, ten generations from now, if the Lord tarries, this word will still be preached, it'll still be powerful, it'll still be effective, but popular ideologies of today, eh, not so much. And there's more to this word and its character than just that. In verse 23, Peter describes this word as living and abiding. What does that mean? What does it mean that the word of the Lord is living and abiding? Well, it does not mean that the word of God is living and breathing like you and I do. It does not mean that there is a heartbeat in the word of God. Living literally means life-giving. That within the word of God, it has the power to impart life. When we talk about the living nature of the word of God, it's that it can give you eternal life. There is an allusion here back to Genesis chapter 1 and really John chapter 1. That God creates everything, how? Through his word. By speaking. Why does the universe exist? Because God said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let there be water, and there was water. Let there be men, and there were men. How do things come into existence? Through the word of God. God's word literally has the power to form life. He imparts life to man, in Genesis chapter 2, by breathing into him. Uh, Elsewhere in the New Testament, we we read that the word is breathed out by God. It's the very breath of God. Just as God created the universe through the word and by the word, you are being recreated and regenerated through the word of God. That's really what Peter's getting at here. That salvation is a new act of creation by the creator God, where he redeems and and renews what was lost and ruined by the fall, and he does that through his word, through the declaration of his word. So Peter says, You've been born again by the power of the word, and this word, word, unlike everything else in creation, is imperishable. It won't perish. It remains forever. So here's an application for you. As pastors, churches, we're always looking for the next new shiny object in ministry. I mean, quite literally, there are churches who have just shiny things on stage all the time are smoke screens so you can't see the shiny things on stage. 
the next shiny toy, the next flower of the field, that if we do this, then we will reach this generation, then the church will survive this age. And we chase after withering grass, and the church fades. What is not needed is the latest fad in ministry, but what is needed is what the reformers called always reforming. The church should always be reforming itself according to the standards of Scripture. What is needed for the church to survive is to live by and to preach and declare the Word of God as if we actually believe it to be the Word of God. Long after we are gone, the Word of the Lord will remain. Long after light shows at church are gone, the Word of the Lord will remain and still be giving life to people. The next attribute of this Word is the idea of abiding, its remaining nature. This is more than saying that the word of the Lord remains forever. If you remember, we've mentioned this a few times. First Peter is a book written to a church that is suffering persecution. It is suffering severe persecution from the Roman Empire. And Peter's here reminding them about the abiding nature of the Lord is getting at something very specific. Consider what uh, Peter Davids says in his commentary on First Peter. He says this, For Peter, the focus of this passage is the word of God which endures or abides or remains forever, that is, can never be made ineffective. It can never be made ineffective. If you want good news this morning, I'm not sure I can give you any better news than that. The word of the Lord can never be made ineffective. It always accomplishes what God has for it to accomplish. Nothing in this universe, from governments to unfaithful pastors and unfaithful churches to societal trends, can take away the effective nature of the word of the Lord. To change lives, to renew families and societies, what is needed is the word of the Lord. To live by it more clearly and more faithfully. Any ministry or movement not built on the word of God is sure to fade ultimately and prove worthless. Yes, it can bloom in seeming glory, but it will fade. For pastors, it's really easy to say things like this. Preach the word in season and out of season. It's hard to actually do. It's easy for pastors to say something like this. Preach all of scripture. Preach the whole counsel of God. But it's hard to actually do that because there are parts of the word of God that people don't like. It's easy to say that God is supreme over everything and then to preach like that's not true. But the word marches on nonetheless. What is needed in our moment is not new programs, not new paradigms, but for us to live and to preach like we believe what we say we believe. What is needed is bold men of God trusting the eternal word of God and that it will outlast and will conquer the absurdities of today. Like, do, do we actually believe that? I know people in this room do. And for that, I am grateful. But it's really easy to say that on Sunday morning and to go out into the world and to think everything's going to hell in a handbasket. There is no hope. And then we remember the word remains forever. One of the main things the church in America suffers from today is an utter lack of courage and an utter lack of vision, and that starts with the pulpit. 
I hate saying things like this because I <laughs> feels like, well, say, well, I'm doing it right. Of course, everybody thinks they're doing it right. But it's my heart's conviction as I interact and I, and I bring, take in a lot of stuff that supposedly conservative pastors say and I go, what is wrong with you? Like the Bible is absolutely clear on this. The church has been uniform on this for 2,000 years. The only thing that's changed is culture and now you're going with it. The word of the Lord remains forever. We suffer because we are much better at creating slogans that sound great, but we aren't so great at living them out. Finally, the character of the word of God is this. It's God's. Right? Trite, I know, but it's the word of the creator. It came from his mouth. The one who created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the galaxy has also created a book for you to have. That shouldn't be lost on you. Things that change the world, like the Protestant Reformation, is because people are like, this is the very word of God. We should live like it's the very word of God, and we need to get this word of God in the hands of as many people as possible, for it will change the world. And it did. When we preach and teach the word of God, it should be treated like it is the word of God. Or to paraphrase from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, to disobey or to disbelieve any part of Scripture is to disobey or disbelieve God himself. Let that sit on you for a moment. To disbelieve or to disobey any part of Scripture because it's the very words of God is to disobey or disbelieve God himself. And as a preacher, I have to drive that point home again and again. You can disagree with me all you want. I really don't care. But you can't disagree with God. Don't do it. What is the impact of this word? This word is the good news. It has character of being living and abiding because it's God's word. God's word. What is its impact? The answer comes all throughout verses 22 through 25. To put it plainly, you cannot rightly know the word of God and remain as you are. Remain unchanged. It's too powerful and it's too important. And so we have to say this. Peter writes this so that it would have an impact in his, his readers right now. Right now. It's a call to build your life right now on the word of the Lord. It is not a call to just build your eternal future on the word of God. Like sometimes us preachers only want to talk about heaven and the new creation. Like you just need to believe this for now and, and wait until then. No, Peter's instructing people to build their here and now all the way until eternity on this word of God. That it is given to us to sustain us in a wicked age. It is a call to build everything upon what God has said. Scripture is to be a lamp to our feet right now. So what impact does this living and abiding word have on us? First, Scripture imparts to us obedience to it. This is right where Peter starts. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That's written in the perfect tense. If you don't know what that means, good. That means you're not a grammar snob. What it means is that it's a current and ongoing reality. So Peter's writing this. He's saying, hey, I know you're already obeying it and you're going to keep obeying it. 
But this is something the Word has done in you. It has started this active obedience in your life, and that is supposed to mark the rest of your life moving forward. And so yes, while all of Scripture centers on Christ, we have to avoid the trend to unjustly narrow Scripture to only being about Christ. It's also about how to obey Christ. How to follow Christ. Christ himself said, If you love me, you will do whatever you want. No. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The word that was written down is passed down to us through thousands of years so that you and I don't have to guess what the Lord requires of you. It's written down. If you've studied the ancient religions uh, around Judaism and Christianity, you would realize that unlike Christianity and Judaism, they had to do all these practices of sacrifices to do divination. Why were they doing divination? Because they had to figure out what God, their gods wanted from them. Their gods didn't tell them, this is what we want from you. The God of Israel and the God of the church plainly says, this is what I want from you. So that you don't have to guess. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have a super spiritual experience all by yourself one day transcending to a new plane to figure out what God wants from you. He's given you a book. It's right there. You can read it for yourself. The impact of the word on us is not only that God tells us what to do, but also empowers us to do that. The word is our daily bread. It feeds us. It nourishes us. It gives us strength. We are told to renew our minds with the truth. Where do we find the truth? In the Word of God. So we have this interesting relationship with the Word of God. It gives us instructions on what to do, and then it empowers us to do the very things that God wants us to do. Of course, it does all of this in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. The second impact of the Word is that it purifies us. Just a few verses ago, Peter told us of our need to be holy as the Lord himself is holy. So how do we grow in holiness? You study the word and you obey it. It washes over us. It holds up a mirror so that you and I can see where we need to repent and then we can turn from it. That's the power of the word. It can make us pure through the work of God, through the spirit. Third, the word brings with it a sincere brotherly love. Verse 22. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. One thing we often don't think about is how love, on the one hand, and obedience, on the other, actually go together. I just quoted to you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Obedience and love are not opposites, but they go together. And one mark of knowing your word well is a sincere love for other Christians. Not some ill-defined, modern misunderstanding of love, but a sincere care and desire and actions to take care of others who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. The scriptures have the power to show us what that sincere love is, rooted in holiness, purity, and self-sacrifice, and then empowers us to love others. The final impact listed here is that this eternal word of God has the power to make you and I eternal. Listen again to these words. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, 
but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That search for something lasting, something eternal, something that has the power to do what technology and ideologies will never do, is found in the Word of God. This is the message of a million advertisements. Right? If you do this, your life will be better. If you do this, it will bring some meaning to you. Or as Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes 3, God has put eternity in the man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, we long for eternity, but God has frustrated that. He's frustrated it. But my news for you today is that the eternal thing that can make you eternal is sitting in some of your laps right now. For others of you, it's on your smartphone in an app. That one thing that is imperishable, that has the power to make you imperishable, is the very seed of the Word of God. Man rises in all of his power and wisdom and poof, he fades in the sun. The wisdom of man and the glory of man blooms and blossoms like the flower and there can be real glory in it, but then it withers into nothingness, vanity of vanities. But then, Peter says, you are born again by the imperishable seed of the word of God. Therefore, you are also imperishable. What in this world is immovable, eternal, in life-giving. The word of the Lord. Because it has the power and authority of God himself. As the church handles the word of God, thus goes the church. Hear this also. As an individual handles the word of God, thus goes that individual. God in his grace and power has given you an imperishable word in a perishable world. And it is the power by which you are being born again, by which you are being instructed into how to grow in grace and holiness. So I'll say it again. What is needed in our pulpits is to preach the word of the Lord more, not less. It's to preach it with more passion. It's to preach it with more application to all of life. If the, if the Lord does not build the house, the laborers work in vain. If the Lord does not build Christ Bible Church, then Pastor Levi and the elders and the members work in vain. That is not lost on us. And so we have many laborers in the church today who really are working in vain because they neglect the life-giving and abiding power of the Word of God and they exchange it for trinkets and distractions. Listen to these words of Christ from the Gospels. Everyone then who, he, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. 
The wise man builds his house upon the rock of God's word. He does what it says. That house, that individual, that life, that denomination, that church can withstand any storm this world can throw its way. Why? Because it's built on the eternal word of God. And note here, house is really a reference to just living through this life. Scripture is not just your hope for the future, it's your hope for now. But the foolish man, hears the word of God, hears the word of Christ, and ignores it, and the ruin of that house is great. We have so many fools who outright reject this word, and their ruin is great. We have so many other fools who pay lip service to the word of God, but they don't do as it says. They look for salvation or success or a foundation in social theories and psychology or worldly wisdom or whatever it is and they try to build a halfway house between the rock and the sand and then the rains come down and the wind comes and the ruin of that house is great. That's largely the problem with the philosophy of ministry of much of evangelicalism. And you take a step back because make no mistake, the church is facing a massive storm right now. And we are witnessing again and again a great ruin of a great many houses that were built on sand. Next scandal comes out. Next one comes out. Then another one. Then another one. Another ministry down that neglected the word and treated it as optional advice instead of the word of God. You cannot say that Christ has not warned us. So to you, brothers and sisters of Christ Bible Church, from our elders to our members, to our regular attenders, to those listening online, to grandparents and parents, and to our children. The application of this message is clear. Build your life upon the eternal rock that is the word of God. That word will never, never fade in the sun. It will never, never wither and die. Build your life upon the imperishable seed that brings eternal life and that abides in Christ's people. It has the power to save you. It has the power to renew you. It has the power to make you imperishable. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning that you have spoken to us in your word. That we need not guess what you require of us. Forgive us again, Lord, for where we do not do this thing, where we do not build our lives upon the rock. But Lord, may you empower us to go forward in newness of life, walking in surety and confidence that your word will never fade. It will never go away. And it has the power to save us and sustain us in this world. May that day when we see your face when we stand before the judgment seat, may it be said of many here and of Christ Bible Church in general that we built our house upon the rock. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.